With the sports world on pause, we've teamed Greg Linelli and Eric Erlinson together for Power Lunch, an hour to talk lightning hockey, the NHL, and how you're coping with the coronavirus. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Center point, Hedman, right to Kucherov. Score! Patrick Kucherov! Happy Tuesday, Lightning fans. Welcome to another edition of Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. I am Eric Erlinson alongside Greg Linelli as we are here with you each and every Monday through Friday with some good hockey talk and occasionally some bad restaurant experience talk. A little bit of everything you get on this show as we continue to wait for news on when the NHL might come back. We have some news about other leagues with some potential comeback scenarios. We're going to be joined a little bit later by Dan Lucas from WFLA News Channel 8, longtime sports anchor over there to kind of get some of his thoughts on what's going on around the sports world and, of course, in the NHL. And with that now, I will bring in my co-host, Greg Linelli. And, Greg, uh, I just to give everybody an update, I have not heard anything from our restaurant experience from yesterday, mm. which does not surprise me. Yeah, that's um, unfortunate. I'd be taking my business elsewhere, E, but that's just me because there's a lot of other options. It's the beauty of America. Options, options. One business falters or wrongs you, you can go somewhere else. And that's exactly what I would do, my friend. Enough of that. Yeah, that's uh, that's certainly on my mind. Um, you know, it, it is a popular place uh, in the Erlinson household, uh, as I said. I Overrated! <laughs> I, did, I did work at that restaurant for a number of years back in my <clears throat> my youth. Which was, was that forty years uh, ago? It was quite, was quite a while ago, <laughs> uh, for sh- for sure. Um, I I did uh, work at that establishment in a variety yes. of different roles. Um, so you know, it's uh, it, it, like I said, it, it is something that uh, my family does enjoy. But yeah, there are other options, uh, including right in the immediate area, <laughs> yeah, of where this one is located. So that's and I'd a let them know that too. I'd let them. I I do another follow up email. I'd let them know that that you're taking your business elsewhere. And let's see if they come with some gift cards. Let's see if yep. they do. Well, that's what it takes, right? That's yeah. you got to find a way to keep the business. And again, I understand it's a, a trying times, but um, you know that you, you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't treat your customers like that, especially at this time, because you need the business as much as you can. You do. Speaking of the business, we we touched on this some yesterday. We didn't get into too much deep detail, but the American Hockey League, as was expected at some point, did cancel the rest of their season. And their postseason, uh, that of course does include the Syracuse Crunch. And one of the things we didn't really kind of get into, Greg, was what this means developmental-wise for, in particular, the Lightning prospects down the road. Because they're so reliant, the HL is so reliant on the NHL and the players that they supply for their rosters that if the NHL is not starting their next season, let's say until December... Well, that's going to directly affect the American Hockey League and those teams and those franchises and the potential, I don't want to say stunting, but you know, putting behind maybe the development of some of Tampa Bay's prospects. You think of a guy like Gabriel Fortier, who missed out on a, a playoff run in the queue this year with Moncton. That was a really strong team uh, in the Quebec League. Uh, he is expected to join Syracuse next year. Uh, so players like that, where do they go now on their development curve if they might not be playing hockey until December or January? It's a very good question, E. 
and uh, you should be commended for asking it because <laughs> I, it I noticed you didn't go to the great level. Yeah, well, I can't go. I can't go great. That's only that's only uh, on my end. But yeah, it was okay. a very very reserved for very special questions. <laughs> it was, but I, I think it's a, obviously a great point. When you talk about the Lightning, particularly, and I think most teams today in the National Hockey League, if not every team, because of the salary cap, it's expensive to get veteran players on contracts that are something they're willing to accept. And so if you can't sign, I'm throwing out an example, Brian Boyle, who, let's say, 30-31, wants a two, three, four million dollar deal. You want to bring him back, but you can't because of the cap. What does that mean for you? That means you have to dip into Syracuse, most likely, and get a guy who can come in and play on the cheap and be very effective. And not only guys like that, but we've seen the Braden Points and the Anthony Sorellis and the Mikhail Sergachevs, those entry-level contracts that are so important while your team is up against the cap. Now, eventually, Tampa Bay will have to recognize the services of guys like Sorelli and Sergachev and the Matthew Josephs, to a lesser extent, the Eric Chernaks, and pay them accordingly. But there's a period of time there where they're not making a lot of money. And a big reason is because you have a, a developmental system down in Syracuse or via trade, however that, that goes about, that you can bring guys up like a Mitchell Stevens or Carter Verhage, get production at an affordable rate. And if those players, for whatever reason, if their growth is stunted because the NHL season is on hiatus next year or delays in some capacity, how does that hurt the developmental process for some of those players. Now, the good news is, he, I will maybe the counter to it will be maybe some of those players have less of a learning curve than others when I talk about prospects because Tampa Bay looks for guys who have high, high hockey IQs and have a really good work ethic. Maybe their ceiling isn't as high, but certainly their floor um, isn't as low either. And they're guys that can come in and maybe play right play away right away just because um, we know how good they think the game and from that standpoint don't need as much seasoning. So maybe that's the flip side with some of the guys they have down in the minor leagues. But overall, there's no question like Barry Boulez and, and some of the other more high ceiling players, you would think that need more time down in Syracuse that that would obviously stunt their growth a bit. To what extent it would hurt a team like the Lightning bringing players up, I don't know. But I think every team overall would feel affected in some capacity. For sure. And there's no doubt that the rosters are going to be affected too because, you know, if they're if the AHL is not going to start till December, how about some of these veteran AHL players? Let's think of a guy like Cameron Gauntz who came up and got some time with Tampa Bay last year. He was a call-up a couple of times this year. He didn't get into a game, but he's been a big part of Syracuse. If the AHL isn't going to play and Europe, Europe, European teams are going to come back a little bit quicker, if there's an opportunity, you might see an exodus of some of these veteran AHL-type players leave and head over to Europe just because that's where the you know the the jobs are going to be at least in the short term uh, overall and then I also think about to your point about where does this leave the lightning I, I think of like the the progression of an auto Sompi who I know the team has been very high on for a couple of years started slow played a good portion of last year with Orlando in the ECHL 
made the jump this year, was a regular contributor at the AHL level. I know I've talked to Stacey Roost about it a couple times, the assistant GM. He's also in charge of the Syracuse Crunch about his progression, how he's come. You know, So you see players like that that are able to progress and get there, and now they haven't played a game since March. There's a good chance they might not get into a game until December or January. And just how that's going to affect all players in that situation, a Ross Colton, you know, a Cal Foot. Where's Cal Foot come through all this? We're so high and waiting for him to be able to make that jump and be ready for that jump to the NHL level. So there's so many rippling effects that this is going to have uh, in, in terms of what every team in the NHL that has an AHL franchise, and there's been a couple of shuffling arounds uh, for next year. I know San Antonio uh, was purchased by Vegas. They will have their season next year uh, in in uh, Nevada, will be their AHL affiliate, and there's been a couple other teams that have kind of moved around and changed affiliations. Um, but every team in the NHL and the AHL is going to be affected by this, probably a lot bigger than we kind of understand right now and, it, and, it, and it's going to have a huge impact on some of these younger players as they try and make that jump to the NHL yeah and I, I think the other question too is the I mean is there a chance that some of these AHL affiliates fold yeah I would have to because, think that there's that possibility I mean we're just reading you know comments coming out of Syracuse and they're the way their arena situation is set up and it doesn't look like they're going to be uh, an issue moving forward paying the bills because you you mentioned yesterday the way it's it's basically on a, a per game basis correct what they pay yep. yeah for and, the arena that they play in yes which is really good to know i don't know what it's like for other franchises but certainly there's been more of a push to have the nhl franchise aligned with their ahl franchise and we know that it's gate driven like most leagues are but particularly the American Hockey League, how many of them fold? And when we start talking about players that are part of that organization, if there's no developmental league for the AHL for that team to physically go, what do they do with those players? Again, I might be jumping the gun a bit, but I'm sure there are some questions there that, that probably need to be answered because while the AHL isn't on everybody's radar, and I understand that, it is a valuable, valuable asset for yes. all NHL clubs. And if you don't have it, that could set you back. Well, and just think of how the Lightning have utilized their farm system since Steve Eisenman came in. Jeff Vinnick hired Steve Eisenman in 2010, and you know we've talked about it a lot, how that was the area that Eisenman and Julian Breeswell, now the GM, addressed and got in line. And think about every player that has been eligible for the AHL that the Lightning have drafted has played at some point in Syracuse, with the exception of Braden Point, and even he got a couple of games in there after one of his junior years ended. But you know they 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 season they make sure their players are ready by sending them to Syracuse and giving them some time. If they're ready, they'll prove that they're ready. I mean, you think about Anthony Sorelli. He he was down there from the start of his rookie season until March before he came up and and was recalled. And how they've been able to utilize that to strengthen their NHL team. You know, I, I still remember a conversation I had with Pat Verbeek, who was then the, one of the assistant general managers under Steve Eisenman before he left with him to go to Detroit. You know, he said, when talking about the, the way that the Lightning utilized that, he goes, you know, the one thing nobody has ever said, you left him too long in the AHL. What is it they say? Well, you brought him up too early. And that's kind of been the philosophy and how Tampa Bay has been able to help these younger players grow to get to the NHL level. And that's why they've had so much success 
unprecedented success, honestly, in lighting franchise history. You go back to previous regimes, they never had the type of farm system, and there were a varying number of degrees for reasons why. But this is an area they identified. Al Murray has come in and identified exactly what the Lightning franchise looked for, brought in those type of players. You think of the Tyler Johnsons, the Andre Palats, even the Corey Conickers and those players that spent time in the American Hockey League before they were able to come up and be contributors at the NHL level. And it's all because of the time they got in the minor leagues. It's a good point. And... It's the lifeblood of the Lightning organization, particularly one that's going to be up against the cap. And if you start to see issues in the developmental process, that means then you have to take more gambles at the trade deadline and in free agency, getting to guys like Blake Coleman and getting guys like Barkley Goodrow. If you don't have guys you feel comfortable with down in Syracuse, and then that eventually will take its toll because now you're giving up draft picks. You maybe are giving up prospects to get guys who are veteran players that you have rights contractually for a year or two, that could be one of the backlashes uh, of delayed development if this happens. Now, I don't want to overact too much because I think in part getting guys like Coleman and Bogosian and Goodrow, it was more about winning now. But we have seen that model uh, for a team like the Pittsburgh Penguins over the years that they have some guys they bring up but they're also very aggressive at the trade deadline, giving away draft picks, giving away maybe any type of high-end prospects they have to win now. If, for whatever reason, Syracuse gets behind in developing players, e or players don't progress the way they want, that is the other option that Julian Breezewell would have if he needs to shore up his team rather than dip into Syracuse. Another way to do that is through free agency. It, it is. It could be expensive. Um you know, especially for a cap team like the Lightning are going to be for hopefully the foreseeable future, uh, which means that they're a successful team uh, going forward. So hopefully that's that's the opportunity. Uh, and, and the one other thing that you know we did touch on this yesterday, but I want to make sure we bring this point up again today, that the so-called black aces, when the league comes back and they do start resuming, you'll see, I think, remember, it's unlimited the number of players you can bring up. You know, there's no roster limits on what you can do after the trade deadline. So I wouldn't be surprised if every player that's on a Lightning contract comes in and at least works with, uh, I would I would imagine they'll bring Benoit Gru, the head coach, and the coaching staff from Syracuse in to work with those black aces. So at least at that point, they'll get that development time, that practice time that they've been missing. Not game action, but at least they'll get that element of it. Uh, assuming, again, everything is safe and, and ready for them to come back. But that is something that um, I think we would have to expect that the Lightning and other teams will do to at least get their guys skating and moving. I guess the bigger question after that, and it doesn't necessarily uh, directly impact the Lightning, is what happens to these players who are on AHL deals? You know, the Nathan Velus and you know some of those other players in Syracuse. Where does that leave them uh, in terms of what they do? And, you know, those are the ones that are going to be impacted because they don't have the big ticket money right like they're not making the big money in the ahl uh may not have an opportunity to get the nhl um, so those players will be impacted uh, probably as much if not more uh, than anybody else uh, through this whole system in terms of uh, hockey development and, and playing um you know getting a chance to get to the nhl so, so again let me ask lots you real and quick. lots of I, rippling effects i know we got to go to dan lucas here coming up i'm curious what you think and maybe we could talk about this on the other end if for whatever reason, there is an issue with the AHL for any for any reason next year because of the delay of the NHL season. Could you see some of those players going over to Europe and playing? Yeah, absolutely. 
uh, because the European leagues and and that's why because the European leagues again if they stay on their schedule they're usually back playing games by late August early September so their training camps would be in August again everything has to be clear over there they're you know they're just sort of emerging uh, from some of their situations um, you know particularly in, in like Germany and uh, Switzerland and and those places the KHL of course canceled their season so yeah I could see a lot of those players because that's where the jobs are going to be and sooner and they're guaranteed jobs there's still no answers here yet and, and we, we still have a little bit of time before we have to get to that but if you're an agent for one of these players you have to strongly consider that because you have to do what's best for your client and that might be having them play over in Europe if they're comfortable with that because I think that's where some of the jobs are going to be uh, in the short term as opposed to the long term so it, it is very interesting. Uh, and, and speaking of the Syracuse Crunch, if you want to support a cause that the Crunch have going on, they're selling these T-shirts. They're called Puck Off COVID-19. And on the back, they say, well, we, we will be back stronger. And on the proceeds go to uh, benefit COVID-19 relief in central New York. Uh, but if you want one of these shirts, go to SyracuseCrunch.com. Uh, you'll see the shirts there for sale. They're $25. Um, and again, supporting COVID-19 relief funds in central New York, but uh, pretty pretty clever with the uh, puck off um, moniker on the front. So uh, you can check that out at SyracuseCrunch.com. All right, let's take our first break. We're going to talk to Dan Lucas from WFLA News Channel 8. You're listening to Power Lunch. I'm Eric Erlinson. He's Greg Linelli. We'll be back right after this. Greg Linelli and Eric Erlinson are the perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Oh, we are social distanced for sure. Welcome back to Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Eric Erlinson alongside Greg Linelli, and we're pleased now to be joined by News Channel 8 anchor from WFLA, Dan Lucas. And uh, Dan, thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate your time. Everything's okay in uh, your neck of the woods? Yeah, Eric and Greg, how's it going? Uh, just just trying to navigate the um, one-way aisles at Publix. I, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm a violator. I mess it up every time, even though they have arrows on the ground. That's, that's you know, rolling with the punches. <laughs> well, how has it been adjusting to the work situation? Because we're not going anywhere. You have to do all these Zoom calls for everything you're trying to put together. You actually built your own set at your house. I was watching on the newscast uh, in terms of how <laughs> to adjust to a new work life a little bit. Yeah, it's it's uh, it was an interesting uh, six weeks. I was home for six weeks. Just they just brought us back uh, into the building, and uh, you know we could we. At this point, I feel like I could either be home or in the building because I got the workflow situation down. But, you know, as far as content goes, man, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, if, if it were for Zoom, I don't know what we'd be doing. And I'll be honest with you. I think some of this is going to stick when uh, we get back to the normal life because I'm talking to people in other countries um, for my shows. And you, we didn't do that before. I, so some of it's been pretty neat, I think. Well, I was going to ask you, Dan, we have to be kind of innovative in how we're getting news out to the public and how we discuss it. Do you feel like, while the social distancing aspect has been very tough in terms of talking to players one-on-one -on -one or coaches or managers, that there are some positives that you can take from this and that maybe you do broadcast a little differently, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're not better? 
Yeah, I agree. It's uh, one thing I started doing is I started spending more time on stories, um, giving it more time on the shows, uh, just because you're explaining things a little bit more in detail. And since you do have a lot more, you know, interviews uh, to work with, I can I can set up an interview and roll a little bit more of it than I would in a normal situation. And, and uh, I think people have adapted well. I've gotten good feedback on it. We've had some pretty, pretty good uh, uh, interviews in the past six weeks because it's like I said, it's all you have. And uh, they're timely and topical and um you know, so it, it, it's been uh, it's been an interesting thing. It, it was a rough start for sure, but uh, we've all adjusted. And I think now we're all starting to kind of maybe see a light at the end of the tunnel, perhaps, and uh, just itching to get some type of live sports going. <laughs> that, that, I think that would make everybody happy. <laughs> uh, Dan Lucas from uh, WFLA News Channel 8 joins us. And, uh, Dan, how much have you seen, because we don't have games to talk about, we've had to – bring out some of the personalities of, of some of these players in, in all the sports. Uh, how has that been in, in terms of trying to get that part of the athletes across? And I hope that is something that does stick because it's always, you know, they're kind of the same questions a lot, right? Like we're in the locker room sometimes. You're trying to get game reaction. You don't have time for feature stuff sometimes. But we've been able to pull some of that out here, uh, some of it out of necessity, some of it out of – uh, you know, kind of just getting the right questions asked of guys. You, you see guys like Alex Kalorn, how much his personality has come out during the situation with his doc talk and all that. Um, how much does that think you can stick around once we do get maybe back to as close to normal as we are? Well, pr- first of all, if, I, if I'm if i running a jet ski company, I'm sponsoring doc talk from now on. <laughs> that, that doc talk can never end. And uh, it's, it's got to go. I, I can't get enough of it. I don't care if he visits the same people. Until, until I, he has Tom Brady flipping burgers on the backyard at Jeter's house, <laughs> Doc Talk must continue. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've talked to guys who are parents, um, players, and coaches, and I, I laugh because I'm in the same boat homeschooling and uh, trying to figure out Zoom classes. I think it's hysterical that people can relate. Uh, to, to figures that we normally don't see in that in that sense, they're just like uh, all of us trying to, uh, you know, navigate this uh, interesting time we're in for sure. Uh, hearing about the workouts, uh, some of them are pretty funny. Funny stories, throwing medicine balls around the house, breaking stuff, um, pushing pickup trucks down the street. I've heard that story before. Uh, it's, it's it's been pretty cool and. Uh, but uh, I think everybody's trying to have a good attitude about it. And it, and I can tell you this, as someone in the business for, for players and coaches, uh, we appreciate your time. And, and I know we always say, oh, it's just 10 minutes. But you know what? It's, you got to go somewhere, sit down, have silence, and uh, kind of intruding in your own house you know, in a sense. So it's, we're really appreciative of all the folks that have taken part. It's been, been fun. Dan, as you look at sports right now and – Everybody's going through different phases, you know, putting their toe in the water to, to see. We open up the economy 25%. If there's an outbreak, you know, people are going to shut things down. How are you looking at this from a big picture perspective when it comes to sports? Do you feel like that's the way they should go about business? Or do you feel like, you know what, you know, this thing's probably not going to go away. You're going to see uh, cases of the coronavirus pop up. And uh, the more you try and tinker to accommodate everybody, you end up not accomplishing anything at all. So how do you look at, you know, some sports leagues trying to do a little slow rollout? And what do you think 
in your opinion, is the best way to go about this? Well, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I, I did a little research on my own. You know, several weeks ago, I did an interview with an author uh, who wrote a book about the 1919 Stanley Cup, and which was the Spanish flu pandemic, and that cup was canceled after five games. Um, I, don't, I don't know how, if you guys have talked about that story much at all. I don't want to rehash too much if you guys have already had too much, but it was a fascinating conversation I had with him uh, between the Seattle Metropolitans and the Montreal Canadiens, and they played a seven-game series all out west because traveling back then was difficult, so they just moved the whole series out there. Uh, and as they traced the history, the Canadians took this flu with them out there and guys were dropping on the ice at the end of game five. Um, and one of them died two days later and another one almost died. He survived. And then the team general manager ended up dying uh, from complications from the flu. And, and so it brought a kind of a serious perspective uh, of, of that's the extreme not saying that here in the Stanley Cup we're going to have similar issues, but um, I thought I started thinking about it, and I thought, well, what is the smartest way to to get back into sports? And uh, I think if if the players are willing to isolate, that's the only way it can happen. And I just don't know how strong and disciplined a, a man or a woman can be in a sport to stay isolated that long just so they stay healthy enough to entertain us. I, I don't know where the line is for that, and that's the problem I'm having. But it sounds to me like everybody's on board with this lifestyle. And, and uh, I mean, I, as a consumer, I want to watch it. So I'm on board with whatever they come up with. But you guys know how locker rooms work. And um, a few years ago, there was a flu that went through the lightning locker room, if I'm not mistaken, a number of years ago. I remember talking to Steve Eiserman about it. And once a guy gets sick, Everybody's sick, and I don't know how you prevent this. And it took one NBA player with a positive test to shut down, well, eventually shut down sports in the span of two days. But um, I just don't know where they go if there's some type of repeat of that. Again, Dan Lucas joins us from News Channel 8 WFLA here on Power Lunch. And, Dan, to that point, Major League Baseball is starting to come out with some plans. A owners agreed to propose a plan to the Major League Baseball Players Association uh, yesterday. I'm really curious to kind of see where that goes, the whole revenue-sharing type of system in such an odd year. Uh, of course, there's already some pushback from uh, the PA calling it a salary cap. How interested are you to see how that all develops with Major League Baseball? Because, you know, there's, they're the one sport of the four major that hasn't even started their year yet. Of course, NFL is still a couple of months away. But Major League Baseball was just about to start their season. So they're looking at possibly not having anything compared to the NBA and the NHL, which are just trying to restart their seasons. So what, what kind of a scenario do you see with Major League Baseball? Well, the two sticking points for baseball, one, you know, the, the salary uh, reduction, which honestly, I, I don't know how they get through that unanimously to approve it. The one thing that I think baseball is counting on is the clock is ticking. And there's going to come a point here in days and weeks where you can't you can't start it. You can't even get, get it going. you got to just punch for next year. And I think the, the owners know, the players know this. The players have all acknowledged they want to play. And 
I think there's kind of a standoff going as far as this salary stuff goes. I, I would love to be a fly on the wall right now in those discussions between the players and MLB today. And uh, I'm sure we'll hear about it this afternoon and tonight when those come out. But Uh-oh. Oh. Better. Uh-oh. I-, I hope Dan's okay. <laughs> uh, I wonder if he was actually walking through the aisles of Publix there. Oh, he um, might have. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, he mentioned at, he he mentioned about you know the interviews and the locker rooms and being in there and talking to the athletes. I'm curious how things have changed now with the Zoom calls and and things like that. I don't know if you ever get away from the interaction with the players in the locker room, and maybe it's an easy question. I'm answering it myself here when I ask. You know, do you think players um, would want to do more interviews like the Zoom chats rather than in group settings? I'm curious if that changes the whole locker room dynamic too. Yeah, I, I, I think it will be interesting. And I think in the short term, specifically, I think they're still going to close off the locker rooms to the media. Uh, I'm not even sure if it would be like it was beforehand, right before this all happened, where we saw they were starting to institute the six-foot six rule where the media was all in one room. Of course, the media wasn't six feet away from anybody, but the players were and the coaches were, and you know they were interviewed at a table or whatever setup each team's had. I don't even think it'll be that. I, I think, it, at least in the short term, you might see some of these situations, even after games, with some of these Zoom calls or some sort of setup in that scenario rather than, especially if the players have to isolate, um, you know, if, if, if those, that's the way to go in the short term, long term, maybe, maybe for, for TV stations. I mean, like Dan mentioned, they've been able to get video and that's such obviously a huge part of what they do on television, you know, as opposed to us here on radio, Greg, where we all, all we need is the audio, right? All we have to do is have the, the opportunity to speak with a person. We don't necessarily have to have the video, uh, but I don't wonder if that is, Maybe not all the time. I, I think locker room access still matters uh, if it's safe and we can get back to it. But you have these opportunities, and not just the group ones. You know, as Dan said, he interviewed the author from uh, that the the book about the nineteen nineteen Stanley Cup final. Um, you know, you, you could do one on ones with Zoom calls, and you could still do. You know, it, the setup is is pr- primarily not that difficult to do. So uh, I'm interested to see how that is going forward. You know, he mentioned being able to sit down with that author. And uh, do these long-ranging interviews. I wonder, too, for TV stations, do they focus more now on the digital side if they already haven't? Because we know newscasts, sportscasts specifically are are pretty short. But you start directing people to a website or a channel on YouTube, and you want to go more in-depth on an interview that they've done or you have done, you can start to do that. And I'm I'm curious to see how the advertisement from that standpoint uh, changes and if there's more of a push to go digital now, more so than what you're seeing traditionally. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, you know, and like he even said, he, he, you know, Dan said he thinks that some of the stuff might be permanent, you know, or at least on a more consistent basis, at least from his standpoint. So whether that is from Zoom calls or whether that is from him being at home to where he doesn't actually even have to go into the studio. You know, I, I thought that the, you know, both him and Karen Loftus, who's also there with him at WFLA, uh, did a great job of doing stuff from home. You know, we've seen a lot of the meteorologists do it from home as well. Uh, and that's when they have to have the graphics and everything. They have to have the graphics and they're able to still make it work. So, again, interesting times, uh, innovative times that we've seen, uh, you know, so many uh, very creative people come up with. Uh, and it's probably given a lot of people thought for what's uh coming on in the future it is if you want to reach out so she can at bolts radio at eric underscore erlinson with a k and at greg Linelli. don't forget we've got 
game four tonight on 95.3 WDA and Lightning Power Play 2016. Talking about the Lightning and Islanders. We'll have that broadcast for you. Dave Michigan also has a sit-down with Brian Boyle. We're going to air in the pregame. Ian and I will be talking about uh, the game and taking your questions during the intermission report, so make sure you stay tuned for that. It's been a lot of fun reminiscing and going back, even just a couple of years ago, to look at the different rosters that uh, Tampa Bay put out there to see how that uh, has changed um, even till now. I mean, it's a much better roster, I think, now. I think you and I have discussed this before, but it is fun going back and looking at names like Taramina and Schuster and Witkowski and Mike uh, Blunden. Blunden. And you're thinking, man, that 2016 team was a game away from going to the Stanley Cup final, but they also had yeah. players like that that aren't even in the league right now. Yep. Yeah, just a couple years ago. It, it really is. And it's a testament to how strong of a team they were, right? Yeah, a lot of individual talent, uh, but certainly the depth is much, much better now as we kind of look from top to bottom on this roster. Um, you know, it, it, but it is incredible to kind of look back and see that some of these Slater Cuckoo, right? Who yes. so much expectations, uh, you know, being the 10th overall pick in that 2012 draft and kind of seeing him maybe take a, take a step forward, his first real step forward in that 2016 playoff run to the point where he was a top six guy by the time they got to the Eastern conference finals and Matt Carl had kind of been pushed out of the lineup a little bit. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it is, it's been very cool, uh, to kind of go back and, and reminisce about some of this stuff, uh, especially the other day when I know we aired game three on Sunday, uh, that of course was the game where I didn't really watch much of it because, uh, that was the day that the Tampa uh. Union went under. Uh, so that brought back a lot of memories uh, for me of what happened that day. Uh, but I, but I will say, as, as, as we said during the broadcast, uh, I was up in the stands. I was only up for a little bit of the third period, but I was up there to see the great pass that Jonathan drew and made to Nikita Kucherov for the uh, last-minute tying goal that sent Game 3 into overtime that was eventually won by Brian Boyle. That's right. Dave speaks with him, and uh, we're going to run his interviews uh, throughout because it's it's so wide-ranging. And probably there there wasn't a more beloved player than Brian Boyle over the last few years. E. I mean, there you know, fans get attached to certain guys, and, and the marquee guys always are going to have a special place in every fan's heart, no doubt about that. But Brian Boyle was unique in a lot of ways. I don't know if it was because of the role he fit going after Abdulkader in the uh, the playoff series against the Red Wings Chicken a couple of years ago, or if it was just you know what he went through off the ice. Maybe it was a factor of all three. But really, can you think of another player who fans really gravitated towards? Because even no. at the trade deadlines or free agency there were so many people that were like can they bring brian boyle back can they bring brian boy he wants to come back can they bring him back i mean i i can't remember a player maybe over the last three or four years who was more of a role player that fans wanted to see back in a lightning jersey no you know what it's, it's usually usually players that fit that model are like the enrico ciccones right like the fighters quote unquote the andre was you know, those type of players that they really kind of latch on to. They're the blue-collar kind of guys. Well, Brian yeah. Boyle was a different blue-collar kind of guy because he was very versatile. Remember, he took some shifts at defense. Yes. You know, there were a couple of uh, times where they had injuries in games and he would have to go back and take some shifts on defense. Of course, he was a, a defenseman in his youth 
uh, before he reached uh, the uh, was drafted by the LA Kings. Uh, so he had that aspect to him. But I think it's just it, it was it was personality too, right? He was this quote unquote fourth line kind of guy, but his personality, the way that he would speak to the media and that came across to the fans, and the way that he would address the fans and. You know, I, I know in talking to him through the years, one of his greatest moments was when he came back to Amley Arena at the All-Star Game a couple of years ago as a member of the New Jersey Devils. And at that time, he had been diagnosed with cancer. Uh, you know, he was dealing with that. His son was sick at the same time, so they were dealing with, um, you know, his son, uh, you know, going through some health issues as well. So it was a very emotional time for him from a personal standpoint. So to be named an All-Star and for that to be in Tampa – the reception that he received uh, was very, very touching to him, and that meant a lot to him. And I know that that's something he's going to remember for such a long period yeah. of time in his life. And we're talking about a guy who only spent two-plus seasons in Tampa Bay. Now, two deep playoff runs involved in that, but he wasn't even here three full seasons, and that's how much he touched fans and teammates as well. He was very well-liked and very well-respected in that locker room as well. Yep. And uh, also, too, you have to be somewhat productive. And I think that was the other part to that equation that people respected his game, scored some big goals, was a penalty killer, could really go up and down the lineup if you needed him to. Spend some yep. time on the power play with that big Top body. power also, play unit. Yep. Yeah. Also stick up for teammates as well. You know, not a huge fighter, but somebody certainly with his size can drop the gloves and doesn't feel completely intimidated. So that's a... When we talk about free agent signings and we talk about maybe the the backlash that the AHL would get in developing players if the NHL season next year is delayed in some capacity. You know, it's filling that gap with veteran players who have been in the league for a while that understand the role. Brian Bulls certainly would be that guy, and there are a lot of guys like that out there. You just have to make sure when you do sign them, they can play uh, at, a, at a pretty decent level, and you don't lock in to a really long contract. It's not what Brian Boyle wants to hear or players like that but you can't give those type of players the four or five year contracts in today's game when there is a salary cap. Yep. Yeah. It, again, it's, it's, it's the players like Brian Boyle. Uh, if you want to call them middle tier players that get squeezed in a salary cap. And, you know, I remember having this conversation back in 2012, 2013 with Eric Brewer, who at the time lightning defenseman was the player rep to the NHL players association. And, you know, we had a good conversation during the, the lockout situation about this. And, you know, it, and it is players like that that f end up feeling the ultimate squeeze in a cap era. The top star players, they're always going to get their money. It's always going to be there. It's always going to be available to them. You know, the lower tier players or the rookies coming up, they're kind of in, in a certain price range, but it, it is those type of players that are going to have a hard time finding that type of contract that maybe at that point of their career – Maybe they're in, they feel they're entitled to or they've earned. And remember, it wasn't that long ago, going back to 0405, the first lockout situation, where players in Brian Boyle's situation, that's when they were really reaching their first big money contract at the age of 30, 31. You know, because the, the teams had a lot more control over players and contract-wise back then. You know, the arbitration was a little bit different and all that. So those first big paydays at UFA – we're usually in your late 20s to early 30s to where they move back the unrestricted free agency age that some players could reach UFA status at the age of 26. Mm. Uh, so that drastically changed the landscape uh, as well, and, and that's where those players in Brian Boyle's situation really got squeezed out in terms of contracts. 
He's Eric Erlinson. I am Greg Linelli. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll take some questions via Twitter, and we'll get into some other topics as well as we get you set here on a Tuesday. It's the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. An hour of hockey talk to get you through social distancing. This is Power Lunch with Greg Linelli and Eric Erlinson on Lightning Power Play. All right, welcome back. Greg Linelli, Eric Erlinson with you tomorrow on the show from Nice Rink. Jim Stoller. He is going to tell us about this synthetic ice that they have produced. And I am going to be really fascinated to talk to him about where this possibly could go. Because when we talk about breakthroughs in an industry, sometimes it takes a, a while for it to catch on. But I think for a league that has been expanding down south to warmer uh, parts of the country, having an option like this, even if you don't play on synthetic synthetic ice, but to have it as a, a practicing option, and let's face it, to have a, a scenario where you could order your own personal synthetic ice to stay in shape in the pandemic hockey players are facing right now, I think is fascinating and might change hockey as we know it for a long, long time, because as we've said before, you may get more kids involved playing on a surface like this, but you may also have new leagues that come out of uh, synthetic ice. I don't know what the possibilities are, but I'm excited to talk to Jim because they sound like there are a number of possibilities with this. Well, in, in kind of doing the research on it, um, you know, it sounds like they will actually sell outdoor rink to you with the synthetic ice. Now, that yep. would be interesting. Uh, well, the one thing I'm curious to hear about is how to play or stop on it. That's that's the one thing that, uh, you know, watching the video that we shared uh, with each other the other day about going 100 feet just on a couple of strides, but where, mm -hmm. where do you stop? Like, obviously, they just had a basically a runway, uh, and they just kind of jumped off it at the end. But, um, you know, w w what's that factor? Can that be... Um, something that's instituted or, or you know, uh, anything down the line. But, yeah, I, I think that the synthetic ice uh, is a – it could be a, a game changer for markets that don't have, A, a number of available rinks. And we've talked about the number of sheets of ice here in the Tampa Bay area that has grown even going back – I mean, think about it. The start of 92-93 when the Lightning came into existence, I think you had Clearwater, Oldsmar, and then the Lightning actually used the Lakeland Center for training camp. You know, they had ice put in there, and well, that's what they put. That was about it. That was about the only uh, sheets of ice that you could find anywhere in the area. I know the team even practiced out in Clearwater at the time. You know, so now you open up the possibility, not just of the ice that you have, but if you have rinks, you know, there's one that the Lightning just put in at Sadie Park, which is, you know, just a couple of miles from my, out, my house out here in, in eastern Hillsborough County. And if you could put the synthetic ice in there, how much more could you introduce players with just a pair of skates, uh, gloves, and a stick? You know, we, we think about how readily available basketball courts are and how easy they are to get to. Uh, you know, if you could just go down to the local county park and put on a pair of skates and, and play some pickup hockey, I think that, that would be an absolute be game huge. changer in introducing a lot of players yeah. who wouldn't normally have the opportunity to, to a great sport like hockey. Yeah, it would. And I, I think I'm... Of all the opportunities people may have uh, because of this new ice surface, I think is really fascinating. So it's going to be fun to talk to him tomorrow. This comes from Pierre Lebrun today. The weekly NHL and NHLPA return to play committee meeting has been moved up from Wednesday to this afternoon. 
That's according to Pierre Lebrun, although he said he doesn't expect any major news to come from the meeting. He said in a tweet, quote, just to be clear, while you never know, I don't expect any major news coming out. Schedules are fluid between the NHL and NHL Players Association. This RTP committee meeting had to be moved up is all. It's another weekly meeting in the process of trying to figure out how to resume the season. So uh, the group plans to hold at least one meeting a week as they attempt to map out potential scenarios for resuming play. And, uh, of course, as we know, the NHL has been suspended since March 12th. So more communication is what you want. We see baseball, I think, at this moment, each trying to get their season back on track. Uh, it looks like maybe around the 4th of July is when they want to come back in some capacity, whether it's playing at spring training uh, ballparks or, you know, home venues. And uh, it would definitely be a shortened season, which I think actually is beneficial to that sport because I think most of those leagues are too long outside of the uh, the NFL, which is one of the reasons why I think it's so popular. Every game matters. But you can see baseball trying to navigate themselves and navigate through this, and you wonder if the NHL won't be far behind. Yeah, I'm really curious to watch how the baseball situation plays out, right? Because, um, you know, they were the first one to kind of come out with some of these uh, locale scenarios right where you only played in Arizona and you just went around all the minor league or you know spring training parks that they have there and to kind of see how that all that's developed and now that now they have a plan they have an idea and a plan in place and you're already hearing pushback from the players association uh, and I understand it you sign contracts and, and everything else but this is differing times uh, I I think as much as you know the the NHL has had its labor issues and baseball has had some pretty good labor peace uh, going back to you know the strike year in, in 94 um, they've been they, it's been labor peace since then I, I wonder what kind of issues this could cause with Major League Baseball if there's pushback and you know I've already heard Tony Clark who's the uh, executive uh, for the MLBPA talk about well this is a salary cap system we will not play under sort of, under any sort of salary cap system so I'm interested to see how that develops from that standpoint but they have a plan they're really the first ones to have a date right outside of you know NASCAR and IndyCar and PGA Major League Baseball has a date or at least a, a time date in mind somewhere around the 4th of July to start games back up um, now now we have to wait and see when does the NHL go into phase two and we heard Darren Dreger talk about that yesterday what that phase two would be in terms of opening up facilities to smaller groups and kind of move from there. We still don't have a date on that. Uh, I would have to think that at some point you have to make that decision when that's going to come. I think we would have to have some word on that by the end of this month if you're looking at starting games in July or even in the middle part of August uh, if we get that late. If you want that to happen, you know, we've heard the players say that they, they feel they might need three weeks of a yeah. training camp type of scenario to kind of get their feel back. Uh, and under that time frame, you know, you have to start kind of thinking about how long you would need and, and the spacing in terms of completing whatever playoffs they have in store for this year and then trying to find a way to give the players and the league enough of an offseason to get ready for a yeah. 2021 season. The real The real issue, too, with MLB is not only the salary cap, but the the salary reductions, as you pointed out. Also, too, I think there's a, as with any league, but I think especially when you're talking about pitchers who haven't pitched in a while, the the arm issues, we know that continues yep. to be a problem in Major League Baseball. And, you know, I, I think the, the safety of the players is, is something that all of these 
leagues are going to try and figure out. But as, as I said to Dan early on in that interview when we had him on, Dan Lucas, and we've discussed this before, he, I mean, at some point, you're, I think you're just going to have to rip the Band-Aid off and, and just go for it. And, you know, if players get sick in some capacity, you know, I thought he brought up a good point about, you know, the flu that a lot of teams sometimes experience. They take certain protocol measurements to deal with something like that, whether it's, you know, a, a guy staying home and being isolated. Uh, even though this is a new virus, we are still now, I think, making some advancements in how to deal with it. But at some point, even when we start getting better treatments and better testing, even for next year, if a player tests positive, I don't think we can close everything down. I think you're going to have to treat it like you would the flu from the standpoint of what your protocol is. And from there, you're just going to have to act like, you know, everything is normal, like any other illness or disease that may get inside a clubhouse or a locker room. Because at some point, we're going to figure this out with the coronavirus and you can't stop play and shut everything down if you do it. It's new and I understand it. But at some point, I think for everybody, but especially these sports teams, you're just not going to be able to cover every scenario. And if you do that, I think you're going to end up driving yourself crazy. Well, and, and I think in particular with the NHL here, the longer they push this out as far as they can, again, as, as we mentioned yesterday, you know, in my mind, it pushes it back to a point to where maybe the possibility of even fans in the stands is something that uh, the odds are better in your favor the further you push this back. But at the same time, you're seeing some of the advancements already on the science side of things. You know, the, the tests that are being pushed through earlier, you know, they give you quicker results. They're becoming more and more reliable. The treatments that are out there, the the hopes that there might be a vaccine even by as early as January, which would be ahead of schedule. I, I think that the league uh, kind of keeps that stuff in mind as well, and that creates a safer environment for the players and staff and everybody else that would be involved that if they take just a little bit of caution – in the short term, that might be better for them in the long term. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing a little bit here, at least with the NHL. And, you know, as I mentioned with Darren yesterday, I think they are being a little bit more cautious than the other leagues uh, here in terms of putting together their plan. I think that's why they've kind of been sort of the, I don't want to say slowest, but, you know, the the one league that doesn't have any sort of a definitive time frame yet to kind of make things work or even necessarily at least public protocols in terms of what it will look like when the players start to come back with small groups and then what the next phase might look like. They might have those plans in place, and I'm sure they do, well, but they haven't shared them publicly. And, yeah, i got to be honest with you, and you know this better than anybody. I mean, you can make the argument the NHL locker rooms are some of the smelliest and dirtiest locker rooms yeah. out there. And when you start talking about protocols in place, you've got to think the staff and even the players understand cleanliness and hygiene more so than yeah. maybe any other sports league. So you would think the NHL and teams have a better understanding of how to deal with something like this in terms of yeah. the protocols in place, cleaning equipment, making sure players understand that hygiene is a big, big deal, and that these guys will be able to navigate through this because in a lot of ways, they've been preparing for this every single day with how they've had to deal with equipment and just the locker room cleanliness in general. 
Well, I'll tell you, a football locker room doesn't smell very good either. <laughs> I don't think they get a number of players. Listen, <laughs> listen, I don't think any locker room smells any good. Let's be pretty clear. But I think especially <laughs> the NHL when you're dealing with the sweaty equipment, <sighs> the helmets. You're right. I mean, the NFL yeah. locker rooms certainly aren't pleasant. But we always because well, you get about, almost double the amount of players. Yeah, um, for sure. In, in NFL, actually, more than double the amount of players in NFL. A little more spread out and, and bigger for sure. Ooh, it's no. stank! It's stank! <laughs> Yeah, there were certain locker stalls you knew to kind of avoid when the stuff was hanging and kind of, kind of move around. I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll just move on to the next one. But, That's nasty. Um, to, to your point, there's no doubt. Like, we even heard about this way back in March when we found out that the Lightning followed the D- Utah Jazz around to mm-hmm. arenas and back-to-back nights and the sanitation process that took part because they did share the same visiting team locker room at uh, TD Garden in Boston. Uh, but they do a thorough uh, sanitization of all of these facilities after a team leaves. And I even remember talking a number of years ago to Tom Mulligan, who's the uh, head medical uh, for for the team. Um, you know, he's been there for a number of years. And I remember hearing about MRSA for the first time. I'd never heard about MRSA, and it, it had been out there. Yeah. Uh, but my dentist, his son, actually caught MRSA mm-hmm. uh, playing high school baseball. And so I asked Molly about, uh, you know, what they do. And he said they have all these protocols in place to, and it, you know, look, we're talking probably 15 years ago when this subject came up. So I, even back then, I knew of all these sanitation situations and how much everything gets washed. And, you know, even though the players will, uh, especially for road trips, they'll come off the ice for practice, they'll take all their stuff, and they'll throw it in the bag. At some point, all that stuff goes through a cleaning process. And I can tell you, it's extremely necessary because if anybody ever saw Marty St. Louis shoulder pads and also the undershirt he wore, those were the same ones that he had been wearing since his college days, maybe even before his college days. And you think of the, the amount of sweat that accumulated in that those stinks. through the years and Ooh. how clean they had to be. Yeah, uh, yeah they, they certainly do a very, very good job. And I would have to think that that situation is probably 100 times better than it was you know, 15 years ago when I had that initial conversation with Tom Mulligan. Nasty. Nasty. Yeah, nasty. <laughs> but it's, it's, again, they're prepared for it, and I think – the NHL, uh, with the protocols they do have in place with each team and the training staff and the equipment staff, don't underestimate how good those guys can be when it comes to uh, preventing and doing all they can, I guess, to prevent the virus from getting into that locker room. Yep. All right, let's go wrap up our show well, tonight. Hey, I want to I, I, I oh, pass this yeah. on real quick do because it. this came across my timeline from Lindsey Kramer, who Ooh. covers the, the crunch for um, – the Syracuse Post yes. Dispatch, I think that's the name of the paper up there. I forget. Anyway, he, he just because we were talking about this at the top of the show, uh, he says interesting tidbit from a recent conversation with AHL uh, President Dave Andrews. He actually foresees a scenario next year where the AHL could open before the NHL if the NHL delays its start and AHL cities are cleared to go. That would be very, very interesting uh, in terms of how they would do that in terms of structuring. Uh, and putting our rosters together. But uh, interesting that uh, Dave Andrews, who's the outgoing president, Scott Housen, uh, is taking over for him uh, this summer. But uh, apparently there is a plan or at least a scenario in place where the AHL could actually start their season before the NHL. Yep. Might be uh, fun to have Lindsay on. Maybe we'll reach out to him and get his thoughts on what's happening uh, at the AHL level and what he's hearing moving forward. All right, E, that's going to wrap it up for us. We said tomorrow, Jim Stoller from Nice Rink. We'll come on and we'll talk about the synthetic ice that his company has created. And what does that mean for his business and 
maybe other leagues that might be interested in purchasing some synthetic ice. And uh, we want to thank Dan Lucas for coming on, albeit uh, a little shorter than normal just because we had some phone issues. But E, sometimes that happens. It, it did, and, and he apologized. He sent me a text saying, sorry, I don't know what was going on with my phone. It, but it happens. It's live radio, yeah. so uh, we just deal with it. it uh, we'll look to have Dan on uh, maybe a little bit down the road. Yep, it'll be fun. Game four tonight, 95-3 WDE and Lightning Power Play. Back in 2016, round two, Lightning and Islanders. Make sure you keep it tuned. I'll be on with Eric Erlinson. Throughout the intermission reports, Dave Michigan has a sit-down with Brian Boyle during the pregame. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hope you can stay with us for that. Thanks to Steve Ersnick as well. E, we'll do it again tomorrow, noon to one. It's the Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.